When you bet fair on football, you get daily rewards. So any day can be a big deal. So whether it's a lower league match day, a top flight derby day, or an FA Cup Giants versus Minnows day. This week, we're doubling our daily rewards. Get a 10 euro free bet when you bet 20 euro worth of multiples or bet builders. Double daily rewards because we're bet fair. Max 10 euros free bet per day. Each bet must have at least one selection of minimum odds of 1.5 or 1 to 2 or more. Free bet valid 24 hours on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Visit gamblingcare.ie. People might think that my Munster had is too Munster. Got to get into a position where we're rewarding form as opposed to credit in the bank. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Are you ready for quick start car insurance? Get a quote today at GetSetGo.ie. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. And Brian O'Driscoll is alongside me in studio. How are you keeping? Good, Nathan. Thanks. Yeah, good. Uh, the Johnny Sexton hour. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get away from it, isn't it? it certainly is. Uh, no matter what we're talking about, Irish rugby, it all comes back to Johnny Sexton and this weekend against Japan, the first of the November internationals, his 100th test uh, which meant he was out in front of the media and obviously questions turn to 2023 he isn't contracted to 2023 but I think we can all assume he'll uh, get whatever he wants there so Fiji 09 was the uh, first appearance of Johnny Sexton for Ireland you were there uh, it's easy in hindsight to say you knew greatness was coming did you suspect that this guy was going to be dominating our thoughts over a decade on no I, th- I think that that eureka moment was um, the way he reacted in the semi-final to Munster uh, in the in the Munster game when he got um, called on for Felipe Contepomi 15 minutes in and the way he managed the game and then subsequently in the final against Leicester in, in the Heineken Cup I think then it got all of our attention we all knew that he was a nice player but then to elevate himself and, and deal with the pressure the way he did on those two occasions I think immediately we thought wow Right, this is a player with high on confidence that now has the skill level to back that up as well. Did you see a change in him after that? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. I think he, I think he always backed himself but felt as though he never had properly gotten the opportunities whereas once they came, it just felt like the floodgates of confidence opened and, and for all of us as well, whatever about his own confidence, the confidence that then we subsequently had in him. Felipe was going on to Toulon and we were a bit nervous about that, but then the emergence of Johnny Sex and then, you know, Felipe was a forgotten thought. Yeah. It was like, right, we've got one of the best tens around. We're, how lucky are we? And coming into the prime of his career at 24 years of age, so 23, 24. Um, so then when, you know, he got capped, obviously, um, later on um, that year after the Heineken Cup success, and that was inevitable. And then there was the question marks Right after Ron O'Gara had knocked over that drop goal for the Grand Slam, we have to remember as well, it's the same calendar year. Then immediately it was, okay, who's going who's gonna to be the number 10? Because I don't think Rod is going to have an easy ride of it hereafter. I feel a certain degree of sympathy for him and that we seem to have spent the last four or five years talking about how we can ease Johnny Sexton out rather than sort of appreciating a 36-year-old the way we would a Cristiano Ronaldo of... What he has achieved, both in his career, uh, with the honours that he has won, what he's contributed to Irish rugby, but also just that achievement of longevity, of still being Ireland's 
best out half by a distance at the age of 36. It's a remarkable level of consistency and commitment that he's had to put into his career to get to that level. Yeah, it is. He's a he's an excellent pro. Um, I think as a human race, we are obsessed with, particularly, well, obviously in sport, with age and um, the next generation, rather than enjoying what we have in front of us. Mm. And provided they're still delivering, which... You know, he largely has done. He's had a you know couple couple of anomaly games. I don't even think anomaly patches. I think you know games where maybe he hasn't um, presented as we expect. But over a course of a twelve or thirteen year career, that's inevitable. The reality is that it feels also the the world has turned a bit with regards to what athletes are capable of. And you look at Cristiano, you look at Tom Brady, you look at Johnny still able to deliver into their mid to later 30s and, and in Tom Brady's case into his 40s and I, I, in all three cases from what you read and from what I know of Johnny it, it is all about a professionalism that started very very early on and looking after your body and getting into a frame of mind and giving yourself every chance of being able to deliver in those clutch moments as time passes on where everybody else's body fades yours manages to hold on that little bit longer and you might be able to have played the previous game that you enjoyed and loved but your evolution is still almost as effective as the type A uh, game plan that you that you enjoy playing in your mid-twenties. So a player who was fully of the professional era there was no real remnants of the amateur era in what he was doing? No there wasn't and you know when he came in we had gotten our act together it was probably the a turning point 06, 07, um, you know, he was, I don't even know, if did he make the Leinster Academy? He might have been in the sub-academy, then broke through into the academy. And then he was a, you know, a bit part player for a season or two. And then obviously his, his you know, break came um, came in 09. But, um, yeah, we we'd, the psyche had changed in the Leinster setup at that stage. We'd gotten rid of all of the amateur um, traits that were hanging on and holding us back and so th- his timing couldn't have been better um, you know I look back on, on those early years with such fondness and you do wonder gosh if we got our act together could we have won more but we had great times and then it, it built the fuel it, you know it built the um, the ambition um, towards that later success and the timing of the Luke Fitzgeralds and the Rob Carneys and the Jamie Heaslips was perfect because they didn't have the baggage that came with mm. our lack of success and our falling at the final hurdle a couple of times. And so they came through and, and they were the injection of positivity as well that added to, you know, Leo Cullen and Jennings coming back from Leicester, from Michael Checker coming in, from Shane Horgan and myself being sick of playing second fiddle. All those different aspects added to the success. And Johnny was a big component of that. He was a, a missing link where um, maybe it was just the stability, a, a great goal kicker, someone that could see the game, could play the back line extremely well, provided he got the platform um, and just mix his game up really well, along with being a very physical 10. So Johnny had all of the attributes and the timing um, to have the career that he subsequently had. When we spoke around the squad announcement a couple of weeks ago, we, we went through the sort of number 10 depth chart and how some of those players not in the squad maybe haven't taken their chances. It does seem as though that 
Sexton will all likelihood start this week against Japan and Andy Farrell's in a strange position because a player coming back late with the lines that a lot of players don't have a lot of game time there's no Champions Cup games leading into this so it feels as though Ireland are a bit undercooked that he probably needs to start Sexton against Japan give him an hour to make sure he's fully up to speed for the All Blacks game yeah it feels as though he's probably not necessarily one of those in that mm. category because he's had a full pre-season with Leinster he's you know before while all the Lions were away touring and um, and away on holidays he was working hard and he played that first URC game he even played a warm-up game against Quinns wasn't it in yeah. pre-season which uh, has he ever done that since he broke onto the scene in 09 I'd say no um, so um, he's had a very different run in to these games so uh, of all the players I don't think necessarily he needs to start this game. However, you can't give someone their 100 tests off the bench. And that's, <laughs> th- that's the emotion. That, that, unfortunately, right. there's an emotional piece around that of making the decision. Um, also, he's the captain of the team, so it's very hard to start the captain on the bench as well. And are, are Ireland still almost more so just totally reliant on him in terms of their style of play? That actually, if Andy Farrell is looking to try some things out against Japan that you'll use against the All Blacks you need Sexton there because he's the key man no I, I don't think so I think that there has to be a realisation there is life after Sexton because you know he's as susceptible to injury as the next person so I, I think having watched I watched the USA game and Japan game over the summer again with Joey Carberry and with Harry Byrne coming on you have to um, develop a game plan where it's, you can't be overly reliant on one person. Now that one person can run it better than the other guys, mm. but you still have to have a mould for people to be able to fit in and slot in at different junctures over the course of the year, depending on injury, fitness, um, circumstance. Um, How much of Ireland's game plan is based on what Johnny Sexton can do? I, I think he's able to read play a little bit better than the other players in that he can break away from what the structures that they're looking at trying to develop mm. um, you know a, a lot now is about phase play you know beforehand um, it was about you know launch plays and these power plays of knowing exactly what you're doing for three or four phases and then teams worked Ireland out of not competing at the rook and waiting for them to kind of run out of ideas whereas I think now there's an ability for them to lose their shape but get into shape very quickly afterwards and I think Johnny's ability of being able to read what the defence is offering on either side of the rook and sometimes sweeping late or sometimes nudging the ball in behind or sometimes grubber kicking or sometimes allowing the forwards just to bash it up to be able to create a mismatch of some sort so I think he reads that aspect a little bit better than Joey in particular, sorry, not Joey in particular, but Joey and and probably Harry Byrne. Um, But again, that comes with experience too. And 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 you can't, it it is an unenviable task for the lads to try and come in and take over from Johnny. But almost when he's gone, it'll still take a year or two for Joey to deliver his best and for Harry to deliver his best because they'll have had a run of games. And at the moment, they're not getting that that opportunity. Now the time to take that No, it's not because it's going to be, because you feel your best player is going to be there for the World Cup Mm. in two years' time. So, no. That's what I mean. It's a never-ending cycle. But what if he gets injured then? Well, it will be be an end cycle. It'll definitely be an end cycle in 2023. We know that. But, you know, it's two more years further on for Joey Carberry. What's Mm. he, 26, 27 now? Um, Ready by then. Yeah, you no, he's ready now, but it's just that Johnny Sexton's hung on a lot longer than maybe he would have thought he might, and as a result, because of playing quality, we we've had a a, a, a better ten in that jersey, even though he's thirty six years of age on pure performance alone.
What about the makeup of the back line then over the next couple of games and what you expect Andy Farrell to try and do? Because listening to Matt Williams on Monday Night Rugby was saying that quite often Ireland are just playing with the one playmaker, which is Sexton, which makes it very easy for teams mm. because they know if you stop Sexton, you sort of stop Ireland. What can Farrell do to counter that? Well, it's depending on, dependent on the opposition, isn't it? And, and what that presents. Um, like uh, Japan... Um, you know that they're capable of scoring a lot of points against you by the by their you know natural free flowing game plan, but yet they are susceptible to conceding a, a number as well, uh, as sh- as showed during um, the summer. I guess from a creative point of view, you you want to have a creative player in the centre along with um, with Johnny Sexton. Um, I think Hugo Keenan doesn't quite fit that role in it. He's this you know, solidity that all teams are looking for at 15. Good in the air, good kick game, you know, great work rate, you know, very proficient tackler. And, and I think I've, I've listened to some of the comments over the course, and, I, and in particular Keith Wood talking about uncertainty around Hugh Keenan. I think he's been a revelation for Ireland for the last 18 months. I really think he's a nailed on number 15 and the talk of Simon Zebo coming in there. He's not the sort of 10 that I think Andy, or 15 that Andy yeah. Farrell is looking to. I think Simon Zebo, if he's going to be playing, is going to be on the wing. Hugo Keenan is, is the man in possession and it's going to take some displacing in the 15 jersey. But yet he doesn't quite offer that, that, that second access point that maybe you would sometimes get with your 15. He, he can play make, but I just, I would love, you know, you, I think you need that creativity of another player at 13 and that's where you know when Gary Ringrose is at his best sometimes he overplays his hand but I think when he's at his best he has an ability to break defences and bring other players into the game that I just think that Bundy and Robbie in that 13 jersey are are you know lacking a little bit of so I, I think the you know on 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 their day play, all playing well I think Robbie and um, and Gary are the are the best option, albeit you know Bundy's done nothing wrong any time he's played for Ireland. Yeah, uh, Gary Ringrose, James Ryan, two players who probably two years ago would have thought would have had a busy summer with the Lions. Uh, James Ryan had a loss of form. Gary Ringrose has had some, a lot of struggles with injury as well. Do they come back? Do you think with a chip in their shoulder now? Have they a point to prove in this November international window? Um. I don't know if it's necessarily a Lions hang-up point to prove. I think more so maybe for James Ryan, his um, his being omitted must have really stung, particularly when Adam Ber- Adam Beard got brought in. I know there was uncertainty around that, you know, of availability, and but then he played for Ireland a week later. It was I don't know. I don't know if we all we know the full truth of what was going on behind the scenes there, um, but. Um, but it it does feel that Gary Ringrose, this is another big season for him in that um, he was absent for the England game where Bundiaki probably played himself into onto the Lions tour. Robbie has been exceptional for Ireland over the, and the Lions over the course of the last year in particular. He's had a, a run of uh, games without any major injuries. So it does feel that as much as we've got high expectations for Gary Ringrose, he just needs to get one rung further than where he has been. And what what is it? What is um, it that brings him that extra rung? I think probably bringing in other players. As I said, you know, it, for me, his only the only hang up that I look at is that if in doubt he tucks and goes himself, I think there's still an ability to be able to pass and trail. 
and link play up a little bit more. Um, but when he's at his best, when he's fit and strong and and elusive, um, you see how many you know tries he does pick up for Leinster, less so for Ireland. But um, but that's just about having a big engine about reading the game well, about being a support runner rather than being the focal point yourself uh, of ducking back inside, you know, throw the pass. And, and one thing I did watch with Japan is their comfort in throwing the pass to one another in traffic, in close proximity. I think that is a really impressive trait of theirs that they're not, they're, they never get um, scared into tucking and going and, and taking the easy option as, as defences want. We spoke about wanted. that a lot in 2019 as well that Japan were doing that. They, mm. Is that just a, is that a skill set issue or is that a mindset issue? Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's probably a bit of both. I, I must say, um, I, I, watching the summer as well, I think the quality of passing and the ability to do that from Ireland has improved. I think the offloading game has undoubtedly improved. Um, their willingness to look for the pass, even though it mightn't always be on. Um, passing under pressure, um, making sure that it's, a ball is out in front. These are small aspects and, and important aspects you might take for granted, but you don't always get it. Um, so I, I do think that there were really positive traits from the two summer games, um, albeit there was lots of lots of errors you know, mixed in there as well. So um, what is it? I, I think... I think it's just a practice piece, and but it's all well and good doing it against opposition in Carton House or in, in the hmm. you know um, the new facility. But you've got to do it against top quality opposition that are really pressing hard. And whatever about the way Japan defend, New Zealand's defensive setup has changed dramatically. They're having shooters, they're having guys squaring up from the outside in, um, reading through. So you're going to have to really get your passing game on point to make sure that you're going to break down uh, and get the edges if they, if they present themselves. So do you think for Andy Farrell then, looking at these two games, it's a horses for courses selection across while also having to have that bit of game management where Conor Murray's only had a few minutes since the Lions. You need to get him some game time, so he has to start him against Japan. That We shouldn't read too much into what we see against Japan for building up to the All Blacks. I, I, I don't really know, to be honest, Nathan. I'm, I'm looking at the different um, setups, particularly from a, from a backline perspective. Mm. Um, it would be pretty difficult for... Bundy to stomach if he found himself on the outside, having been part of the Lions set up the last test as well, having done nothing wrong, um, delivered performances for Ireland, particularly in his last game against England. So I, I don't know what Andy Farrell is thinking. Um, I, I would like to see um, maybe a, a mix up in the back, th- back three um, this weekend with mm. you know, maybe the likes of Robert Balakun getting an opportunity to start. I was very excited and, 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 I'm, and I'm increasingly impressed by him the more that I have seen him. I know he's had a bit of a run of injury this season. We haven't seen too much, but he's been, you know, what he did in that USA game um, going forward, I think we know what to expect. You know, the very, very quick, good footwork. But I think he's brave I think he has a bit more of an understanding defensively what's going on versus maybe Jacob Stockdale um, so I, I'd be intrigued to see how he would deal with a higher pressure international game um, 
And if he gets one this weekend, he could be an outside shot for, for a test bar, uh, spot next weekend. Uh, that's all watching from the outside. It's funny. I think sometimes when you make these comments and see things and then you might have a word with someone in camp that you could be very disconnected right. with the, the thought process of what's going on. I don't you know if that's You've seen that when you were in camp that, and I don't know, yeah, you're probably sometimes. trying to avoid the yeah. outside noise that there'd be a buzz around the player that's the on be- the outside. Yeah, that's the beauty of of you know watching training sessions mm. and being involved and seeing how good someone really is. I know you can't you can't blag your way through playing Saturday after Saturday after Saturday and pull the wool over people's yeah. eyes. Eventually you you get found out. Um but I think there's a huge comfort generated from some a quality player being able to deliver and um and inject that confidence within a backline at training week in week out going wow this guy's really good and that's what we always got with Keith Earls you know he was a brilliant trainer maybe it quite didn't didn't quite deliver always in the early years on match day and people were had question marks going you know what's this about Keith Earls Keith Earls constantly being in the team but yet he was doing it at training week in week out and 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 when he's ripping up the opposite or ripping up the main Ireland team being a a bag holder you're kind of going jeez why is he on that side and not on our side so I don't know what the the, what the thought is on on Robert Balakoon but from the outside it looks as though he's got so much potential and that if he can you know get his kick and test game sorted if he can um, get his counter attacking and his footwork and his you know looking after the ball all of those basics done really well I think what he is capable of doing going forward is very very exciting yeah and that's where you hope the excitement comes on Saturday that opportunity for those players if they do grab it you get to play against well, you could even you could even hear in a small crowd in the USA game after he scored his first the the, the try which was a brilliant try the anticipation yeah, every time he excited. got it and that that's what you want it's when when you see that that's not an easy thing to to be um, to be able to generate, not every player is capable of doing that. Of really getting people sitting on the edge of their seats or stand on their feet, going, "Whoa, something's going to happen." So the more of those guys you can get in your team, particularly if they can look after the rest of the game, I think the the more chance you have of not only impressing the crowd but of actually scoring tries and creating opportunities for yourselves. Uh, Mac Hansen is becoming that guy down in Connacht very yeah. quickly and he's been called into the squad this yeah. week as one of the on-cap players. Maybe it's a little bit too soon as a, a late call-up to get a run out this weekend or against the All Blacks. Maybe Argentina might be an option but it uh, looks like quite a coup for Connacht. Brought him in from the Brumbies, eligible for Ireland, has a Cork-born mother and... Uh, like only here a couple of months, only half a dozen games, yeah. and straight into an Ireland squad. Well, I, I, I'd be honest with you, I've only seen him a couple of times, but he, you know, against Munster, I thought he was mm. a real standout player. Um, he, you know, was busy, hit the acceleration on the ball in close quarters. There's an aggressiveness to his game, um, not waiting for it to come out uh, to his wing. You know, looking at getting multiple touches, particularly early on in the game. I, I just, I think he's got someone. He's got. He's. He appears to have a lot of the attributes that someone like Andy Farrell would like. Um, and if you're aggressive in in attack, it's rare enough that you're not aggressive in defence. Right. Again, I'd need to see a little bit more of him, but I, I'm intrigued to see what what is said about him when it comes to the training side of things. And yeah, maybe it's about. Um, getting time in camp for the moment, and maybe we'll, we'll, he'll need to go back to his province and um, 
and continue to impress that way rather than picking up a, a cap in this November series. But if he continues on the trajectory he's going, uh, you'd have to imagine that he'll push for, for international honours. Uh, we'll be able to talk a lot more in depth about all this next week when we've seen the Japan game and we know what the team is for the All Blacks game. But when you're looking at the, the pack, is there anybody in the first six weeks of the season that you're thinking needs the chance this weekend? Um, I, I Well, I, I think Coombs... Um, has, was outstanding in this couple of games off the bench against Japan, really good against USA. So with Jack Conan coming in, wh- where does he fit? Doris Much, at much six, like Bundyaki you know? as well, yeah. coming back as the Lion. Yeah. Um, Josh van der Fleer, I think, has been really good so far this year. So that, again, we, we never seem to have a shortage of back rowers and it's always someone that's very unfortunate to miss out. But I, I, there's something about Coombs that I just think... His ball handling ability, his his way to you know read play and timing of the pass, is Dennis Leamy esque, um, who was one of the best ball handling um, back rowers that that I'd played with, um, and just understanding you know when when's too long to hold on to the pass. He he had a couple of moments against uh, USA again, just sucking in the defender, popping one out to James Ryan out at, out the back door. Um, another one to Conway where he managed to hold, 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 stick the defender and put Conway down the wing. Um, those are small little things. They might seem insignificant, but with you know, with with footballers or with, with uh, back rowers with less football, um, they throw the pass a half second early and that line break doesn't happen. There's a scrag tackle and there's a breakdown three yards away versus 20 yards away. And... The, the difference between that three-yard breakdown and 20-yard breakdown, teams are scrambling 20 yards away. They're in disarray. Um, that's your opportunity. That's Whereas to, you know, what you have to do to generate another sc- score, try-scoring opportunity from three yards away where you have to backpedal a couple of yards, you said early, is enormous. So those are small little moments that I have been able to see with Munster and, and, um, and with Ireland in his couple of games that would get you very, very excited about his long-term prospects internationally too. All right, so Ireland-Japan, first up on Saturday, we'll have full coverage on Off the Ball. Andy Dunn is going to be at the Aviva for us alongside Ashling O'Reilly. A couple of other stories this week I wanted to touch upon. Uh, Eddie Jones. Mm. Eddie Jones. So uh, there was this uh, very revealing piece on Eddie Jones and his coaching methods and the very high turnover of staff and uh, well, the re- when you bet fair on football you get daily rewards so any day can be a big deal so whether it's a lower league match day a top flight derby day or an FA Cup Giants versus Minnows day this week we're doubling our daily rewards get a 10 euro free bet when you bet 20 euro worth of multiples or bet builders double daily rewards because we're bet fair max 10 euros free bet per day each bet must have at least one selection of minimum odds of 1.5 or 1 to 2 or more free bet valid 20 for hours and multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Visit gamblingcare.ie. Regime that he seems to run at England and then he was on BT Sport with Craig Doyle where there was an equally fascinating interview where Eddie Jones uh, didn't seem particularly happy with the line of questioning. Uh, been described maybe as bit old school and what's wrong with bit old school? Uh, the general sense coming out of it is that like, Eddie Jones pushes everyone to the absolute limit and beyond and it's happy to discard you if you can't deal with it. Yeah, um, it's a really interesting one. And um, obviously, I, I work with BT Sport, so I keep a keen eye on what goes on mm. from an English perspective as much as an Irish one. And you know, people that look from afar 
and um, question what Craig put to him about being old school and that probably don't know the fact that Eddie Jones quite likes being the confrontation piece. I think he respects you for it. If if you if he has a bite at you and then you have no ability to to come back from it, I think he'll have zero respect. Whereas if you have you know multiple questions lined up to right. to enhance your original point, I think he he will he almost he does enjoy it. He's he's that type of individual. Um, you know, he goes on BT a lot and it's funny, I was talking to Craig afterwards and, and I said, gosh, that couldn't have been easy. And he said, no, like a little bit of wee um, went down my leg talking to him. <laughs> um, but he said, um, you know, they spoke to the, the PR officer and, and Eddie wants to do a proper sit down. So as right. much as people from Vargon, oh, he really schooled him or he wasn't happy with it. I think Eddie quite likes that. And what, what, what I took from it, Craig wasn't questioning necessarily his his coaching techniques. I think it's it's his man management and the way he deals with people, mm. and that's why there's turnover. It's not because the regi- work regime is too hard. It's about ultimately how you deal pe- with people um, from a personality point of view, um, from a respect point of view. And when you have that level of turnover, there's got to be question marks around how you're actually treating people, particularly in in modern life where when you read the article in the Times first like it's hugely entertaining and it's salacious and you're getting that little bit of gossip but then when you think about the individuals involved on a day-to-day basis and the interactions he seems to have with them and the as you said the ultimate endpoint of people end up leaving because they can't work with Eddie Jones it, a lot of what he seems to do doesn't seem to be an acceptable part of, of modern management and wouldn't be acceptable in any other walk of life No it, it wouldn't and, and people leave jobs for largely for two reasons, because they don't like the environment that they're in mm. or there's greater opportunity elsewhere. Well, they're in the England team, or English coaching ticket. Like It doesn't get that much bigger mm. than that. One or two teams potentially around the world. So it's from a, an, evol- a, um, uh, an evolution point of view to uh, a rung higher on where you're at. There, there really isn't many. So it's got to be the other piece. It's got to be that they don't really enjoy the environment or they're tired of it or they can't um, continue dealing with, you know, with the way things are being run. And, you know, that article spelt out a huge amount of uh, of those issues with um, previous coaches. You look at that level of turnover is is crazy in any environment. And we talk so much about you know, companies that are very proud of their lack of turnover means they create a good culture, create a good environment where people enjoy coming in and don't feel work is work. Where when there is big turnover, um, there's usually alarm bells going off for a, a couple of reasons. And yeah. what, what is the issue? He'll obviously point to the success and getting to a, a World Cup final as proof that what he does works. But I guess we don't know with that talented group of players that England have, maybe another way would work better. Yeah, maybe, and and I guess we'll find out in two years' time mm. if he manages to stay in that role for the next two years. Um, this is really his last chance to win a World Cup. I know that he was part of the coaching ticket in in '07 with South Africa, but if you asked him, he doesn't feel as though right. he you know he needs to be a head coach. Um, he was head coach with Australia when they lost in '03. He was a bit part player in '07, but ultimately. You know, it's the one that he wants, and England are his best chance. He's not going to coach New Zealand. Yeah, um, he's not going to coach South Africa. 
um, from you know as a in a head coach role. So this is his last chance to win a World Cup. And I guess if you only know one way, it's hard to have a full evolution of yourself if you've had what's considered to be quite a lot of success. Two World Cup finals in anyone's um, in nearly every, anyone's barometer would be pretty successful certainly certainly on these islands but the reality is in Australia and England if you get to a final you got to win it and for him it must be painful to think that you know the other coaches that have have got managed to win world cups maybe on their on on the face of things haven't got the IQ or or the know-how that he has it's just sometimes about how he delivers that how he gets it across and obviously it's creating angst in this English setup five years is a long time to be a head coach of an international team very well, long particularly time particularly with that sort of atmosphere being within the camp yeah and you can't you know you can't rule by discipline um, and fear um, for long periods you just can't um, there's, got, there's a fallout of sorts that, that's inevitable and, you, you know, it's fine with the very mentally strong guys, but even in international rugby of guys that have questionable mental toughness um, when you're dealing with 23 players on any you know, test team. Um, so when you, you look at that, if, if it's not working for some guys, they're, they're going to break a little bit. And look at the turnover of players that he hasn't used. I don't know, something like 70 players have come in to training camps and then been cast away to, to never see England camp mm. again. Or, you know, that doesn't do anything for players' mentality as well. So you just would wonder about how he has managed um, his England squad over the, over the last few years and how he's going to change. You'd imagine he's not going to... Uh, for I was the just next going to say years. that, judging by uh, the reaction to that interview, uh, a lot of people on the outside would think Eddie Jones would read that and be somewhat horrified that this has all been made public. That uh, be water off a duck's back for Eddie Jones. That's not Eddie Jones. He doesn't. He doesn't um, care what anyone says. He really doesn't. I think he's one of those. He says he doesn't read anything. He reads everything. Uh, a bit like when Joe Schmidt was saying he didn't read any articles. You know, it was th- that is simply not true. They want to know what's being said and what's going on. But I think. Uh, Eddie Jones definitely doesn't um, care for the opinions of anyone out there other than maybe some of his squad, maybe some other coaches, but there'd be only a handful um, or a couple of handfuls of people whose opinion he really would be concerned about. um, And it's definitely, the feeling would be it's not in the press. So he's happy to um, be the big bad wolf and continue his track, his route, and whether it gets them to a World Cup final in two years' time, we'll have to wait and see. Just to finish up, a story in the papers today, a really sad story yet again. Carl uh, Heyman, the former All Black, uh, has confirmed that he's been diagnosed with early onset dementia and probable CTE, uh, only 41, played for the All Blacks 45 times, uh, has had a huge amount of issues since stepping away from rugby, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, a lot of erratic behaviour and uh, most notably had a suspended prison sentence in France after he admitted to charges of domestic violence. He was uh, talking to Dylan Cleaver on the bounce around this. He said, I spent several years thinking I was going crazy. At one stage, that's generally what I thought. It was just constant headaches and all these things going on that I couldn't understand. At the time, I felt indestructible, never got injured. I trained bloody hard. But if I knew what I know now, I don't think I would have played post the 2007 World Cup. I think I would have stopped playing. It's just yet another 
shocking case that seems to be coming out on a on a monthly basis at this stage. Yeah, it is. I think it, it you know every with every one of these articles, it grabs a, a bigger piece of your attention. Certainly, from a, as an ex-player, I'm a year older than him, and um, you 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 read it, and and he was a super hard guy. I don't didn't know him personally, mm. but you know, quiet guy went about his business, and so some of that erratic behaviour certainly doesn't sound like the Carl Heyman that I would have um, heard about. Um, a super popular guy, um, so for him to. F- find himself in this predicament in this situation is is definitely um concerning for um the game as a whole because um it you know it takes a bravery as well for him to speak out about it um and and when you have guys that have played at the highest level um saying that maybe they wish they hadn't played it's it's definitely going to co- cause concern um how, how concerning do you find it? Because as you say, you're a similar age and it's not just you reading this, it's your family reading this and nobody knows what the future holds, but you're reading more and more of these stories. Is it something that keeps you awake at night? Um, I, 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 funny, I read, I read it just before going to bed last night and um, I think it it does make you think that when you forget a name or you forget something or you can't recall something as well as someone else, you go, gosh... You know, it's easy to to connect it to that rather than just being um, a bit ditzy at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does feel that the physicality of the f- professional game. There's an, an element of us being guinea pigs, particularly over that period of time where concussions and impacts haven't been monitored the way they have been in the last ten or so years. Um, so. I don't think it keeps me awake at night, but it definitely makes me think about what my you know brain capacity would be like in mm. twenty twenty five years time. Um, I think you know you you see these different reports. Um, was it that Drake? Was there a Drake report where twenty three percent of elite rugby players tested with a mean age of twenty five had had brain damage? Now that sounds pretty extreme. Um, but I don't think there's any rugby ex rugby player in the world that isn't reading that, that isn't thinking, gosh, um, that's concerning because there's more and more of these coming to light and at younger and younger ages. It is, yeah. And I guess you you know, the I don't think you take solace in the fact, but listening to the extremity of of how these people have felt their level of memory loss, um, you know, the anger and um, alcohol abuse you know I I guess I'm very lucky that I don't associate any of those things with myself Mm. so um, but yet it does feel as though there's more going to come and World Rugby potentially have have a problem on their on their hands so they issued guidelines recently about training and limiting full contact to 15 minutes per week, 40 minutes of controlled contact using tackle shields and pads and 30 minutes of live set piece training, line out scrums, mauls at high intensities. And these could well be mandated quite soon and teams may have to follow them as soon as the 2023 World Cup. You're, you're I don't understand. What's, why 2023 World Cup? Why is that not brought in immediately? Why can't you do it next week? There's no reason for because because now if t- you're looking two years down the track, 
what sort of potential damage could be done in that period of time if the, if some of the study and research that has been done is saying that the impacts happening at training the the um the scale of which is too high from a from a you know, brain um injury perspective well you've got to reduce it now not in 2 years time i, I just don't understand that and um i don't think you're going to find any clubs or any countries are going to argue the fact if everyone is working on the on the same premise. Yeah, because it's interesting it says here in this report in The Guardian that teams potentially obliged to follow guidelines in order to compete at the 2023 World Cup. And there is that issue that some teams, some coaches do want to take shortcuts, do want to push the barriers and do want to get a little bit of an edge. But you would hope with something as serious as this that everyone would uh, follow whatever guidelines are put in place. That's we- not putting, that's not pl- player welfare then, mm-hmm. is it? Um, that's not looking after your player. That's just treating them as a as a commodity as a piece of meat so I, I really feel as though that that I feel strongly that that should be put into effect as soon as possible if the studies have found that a reduction in it will um, serve players much better in the longer term we've obviously covered this in depth over the last couple of years and we've looked at the America and American football and the issues around CTE there you're in conversation with a lot of people around world rugby and in rugby in general do you get the sense that there's a realisation that there needs to be a dramatic change and that there's huge issues coming down the track for the I game? Guess, I guess the the concern from there's two concerns from from where rugby goes first of all but first and foremost the concern of what's happening and, and all of these cases that are, are beginning to appear um, that have been building over the course of the last 20 years um, they've got to do something about that um, but then fundamentally, where is the game going to go? How can you change it dramatically mm. to reduce no all of these collisions? Um, the, the, I know it's not called the high tackle framework any, anymore, but you know the um, zero tolerance of high shots with red cards um, um, being delivered over the course of the last year, two years. I don't know, again, from a scientific point of view, what levels how much the, those contacts and, and concussions have mm. been reduced in that period of time since those laws have have come into effect um, but it does feel as though and we've been talking about it for a while that it is a bit of a seminal moment for the game to make sure that as more of these cases come to light that drastic changes are being made and that's where for me the, the change to training is an obvious one it's something that you can introduce immediately um, and and if coaches aren't thinking that way, um, well, we've got a problem. Yeah, uh, Brian, good to talk to you as always. All our rugby coverage with thanks to Vodafone, team of us, everyone in. Uh, we'll be reflecting on Japan and looking ahead to the All Blacks game next week. Uh, do you do predictions? Um, like they're they're thankless things, aren't they? Predictions. I I think we will they're not thankless. We will clip it up nicely if okay. you get it horribly wrong. I think we will beat Japan, although I think it'll be you know, potentially pretty close again. Um, maybe by maybe by eight or ten points, similar to what happened in the summer. Even though we'll have a, a large number of our players back, they'll have a few of theirs back as well. Hermano um, didn't play, who, um, who's you know one of the best back rowers in the world at the moment. Um, Matsushiba will be back um, this week. Um, he didn't play last week against the Wallabies. Um, so 
you know, when they're playing well, um, they are, are a tough proposition. I think was it Australia only beat them by eight or nine themselves, who are, who are playing well at the moment. So, I'm going to just give you the the um, the, the um, score prediction on the Japanese game. I want to see what happens yeah. the weekend before I go next week. All right, great stuff, Brian. Cheers, nice and Nathan. Brian O'Driscoll on off the ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in.